Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible-believing, grace-driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit ravenswoodbaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin. I need to give you just a little bit of some groundwork for why we, why we are where we are today. Why we're doing what we're doing over these last, uh, this is the third of, of uh, a three-week series. In between our conclusion of the book of, the book of Philippians and our Christmas series, I wanted to explain to our church a theological underpinning, some, some girding as to why we hold to what we hold here as a church. When I say hold, what I mean is ultimately as our purpose. Why are we here? What do we, why do we do what we do? And I've shared with you over the last couple of weeks, I've shared with you that our vision statement, that for which we have a vision to fulfill, that we believe God has called us to fulfill, is to make disciples of all people for the glory of God. That's why God put us here. That's why our church is here, now 128 years. 128 years this church has been here. Whether it's been on this corner or over by Damon and Wilson, this church existed. Uh, this church existed so that disciples could be made of all people. All people for the glory of God. That means from the nursery, senior saints, and everything in between, that we don't just look to make disciples of saints, but we're hoping to make disciples of those that are ain'ts, that aren't saved yet. But we want to see all people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus and to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. We also, as a church, see that practically played out in three categories, in three actions. Because if I said to you, we're here to make disciples of all people, you'd go, Pastor, please, give us a plan for how that's going to happen. And so I've given you a little bit of an argument of how I believe that plays out in a church like ours. It comes out first that we love God. That because we love God, that loving God means that that love begins to come, it overflows from us, and, and, and it, it, it's, it's apart from Christ, there would be no love for God. And so we are rooted in a theology of the gospel that tells us that Christ's love is in us by the Spirit, and His Spirit is working in us to bring about that fruit, and we become loving people as we love God. We love each other. We love our neighbors. We serve our community. We serve our coworkers. Why? Because we love God. We then, from there, from, from, from that place, we, grow, we, we go to where we were last week on growing together. That We believe that Christians best grow in community. We find that actually because the Godhead is com in community. The Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have been in community. They've been together from the foundation of the earth. And before an eternity passed, they have always been in union, communion, community together. And so because we find that example in the Trinity, we are called to community. So the church exists. And one of the things that we exist to do as we make disciples is we call people to community. To grow together with other believers. And then thirdly today, from loving God and growing together, the inevitable outgrowth of that is that we will serve others. That we'll serve others. 
Now that others, I want you to hear very carefully, is yes, it's in the body. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But serving others for the Christian does not just mean the body. It means that we have the opportunity to live on mission with Jesus. Not for Jesus necessarily, but with Jesus. To serve the world as we walk in the likeness of the Lord Jesus, as we live in accordance to the Lord Jesus, as we mimic the Lord Jesus, we will not be disconnected from the world, but will be passionately working to serve those to whom we believe Christ has died. And so there's a, there's a lot of latitude in this conversation today, but I've got to trim it down and bring it to some clarity for us this morning. And so a little bit of a whole lot of theology to start and some, some introductory comments that are lengthy and then really four statements that are rather brief uh, regarding our church and our effort to serve other people. If you will, look with me at Galatians chapter 5 and look at verse 13. This is God's word. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But by love, serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Paul, in his letter to Galatians, quickly equates serving others to the second commandment. That we love our neighbor as we serve. Jump over another text, and look, another chapter, and look at verse 9 and 10 of Galatians 6. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Paul's argument here is that we're to, be, we're to do good to all. Why? Because Christians understand fundamentally that all are created in the Imago Dei. In the image of God, has God created all. And so because of that, everybody from the Christian worldview perspective is born and is brought into this world with intrinsic value given to them by God. And so the Christian starts with wanting to do good to those, to all men. But especially, Paul says, do not neglect to do good to the household of faith. From this place in Galatians, we, we launch today a little bit of the theology that drives our purpose of serving other people. Now, here's bad teaching as it's come out in the church in the past. It, it comes out like this. It is a hierarchical, a model of leadership or a model of service that says something like this, that there are people, namely pastors, deacons, elders, and leaders, who do the serving in the church. Now that's fallacious teaching. It it was nowhere found in the first century. It was nowhere found in the early church. There was no category of those that serve and those that are to be served. But that 
brings us here to Galatians 5 and 6 because Paul has expounded to these Galatian believers in this passage, in this book, the trueness and the fullness of the gospel. He has taught them two very fundamental keys. I want you to try to lock in with me for these next few moments because this is, this is vitally important. He teaches them these gospel truths. Number one, he teaches them justification by faith. In Galatians 2, verse 16, we find these words from Paul, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Then a chapter later in chapter 3, he teaches this in Galatians 3. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Justification is the legal decree whereby a sinner is declared righteous by God on the merit of Jesus Christ. This is great gospel news to the sinner, that they have been given Christ's righteousness. The church is a place where justified believers gather to rejoice and celebrate each week the declaration of God that the believers are pronounced righteous because of Christ. It's from there in Galatians that Paul tells believers that the gospel does not just give the hope of justification. Because that seems to be rather impersonal when you go to the deepest part of it. That we have just been justified and that, okay, what does that mean in the personal realm of my relationship with Jesus as a Christian? But we come to another reality in Galatians as Paul goes on in the book. In chapter 4, he tells the Christians that not only have they been given the hope of justification but of another incredible reality, and that reality is adoption. In Galatians 4, we find these words in verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 gives us this picture again when Paul writes this, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. So the Christian in Galatians finds out these two joyful gospel truths. That believers have been declared righteous by God. They have been given the righteousness of Jesus. They have been justified by faith. Not by works, but by faith. While at the same time, Christians have not just been justified, it is that the judge who has declared them to be righteous has come off the bench and has taken the Christian, the, the, the one who's been justified, he has now taken them home to be a part of, their, of his family. That is the beauty of the gospel, my friends. That you and I, declared righteous, been taken home with God and adopted into his family. Now stay with me. Stay with me and, and don't miss this because this is where it becomes 
deeply functional to us. As we look at the doctrine of adoption, and by the way, there's so much historical context I can give you that I won't for time about adoption, but I will tell you that the child was freely in this day, the child was freely chosen by the parents. That means the child was desired by the parents, that God desired us. And that child, just like believers, would be a permanent part of the family. Parents could not disown, in Roman adoption law, they could not disown a child that they adopted. And that means to you and I that God will never disown us. This leads us to a, an underpinning, if you will, a, an anchoring and a tethering to why we are to be servants because, and here are the gospel implications, I gave them to you in your, your outline there. We are justified by faith and no longer see our work as justifying us. Therefore, we are free and empowered to do work that serves and blesses other people. The Christian, by the way, that's not just in the church realm. That's not just in the sacred it is also true outside of these walls that the Christian doesn't just see himself as only doing God's work in the church. That no matter where you go today and no matter what environment to which you go or no matter what environment you go into tomorrow for work, the Christian sees himself or herself doing God's work, serving other people. That means there is no calling that is higher than another calling. There is no calling for the Christian that is not a noble calling because you and I get to leave these walls and go serve a world for which God loves. Why? Because our work no longer justifies us. Jesus justifies us. And so we're now free to do work from that place of justification. Secondly, we have been adopted into God's family. Therefore, now we have the privilege of serving our fellow family members here. We've been adopted into God's family. And because of that adoption, this is your family now. <laughs> Some of you are going, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is your dysfunctional family. This is your crazy, messed up family. This is the family of God for which we have all been adopted to be a part of, and because we've been adopted into this family, we now see ourselves as brothers and sisters who live serving each other. It's a joy. Many of you this week were able to host family. For the most part, you had a great, a great anticipation for the family who were coming to your house. You couldn't wait to cook for them. You couldn't wait to bless them. You couldn't wait for them to feel loved and cherished. And that is the same heart the Christian enjoys within the body life of the church. That we come in and we don't see service as something that is painful and frustrating and irritating. It is a joy for me to serve my family in the faith. And so let me... Be clear with you as a pastor of this local church. Let me give you three important statements that I think is mindful for me to make. Number one, within this purpose of our church, every Christian, every Christian should 
be serving somewhere in the church life, in the body of the church. Every Christian. Number two, we, I, will not guilt you into serving. We will not guilt you into serving. Number three, the gospel is too important for any one of us to sit on the sideline. The gospel is just too important for us to sit on the sideline. And so if you'll allow me very quickly today, I want to present to you four biblical and gospel-implied statements that will help us to understand the nature of serving and why the Christian is to be serving the body and those outside in the world. Number one, serving the body is fruit of the gospel. Serving the body is fruit of the gospel. There in your outline, I gave you John chapter 13. We find a very interesting story. It's a story of Jesus. Jesus and his disciples, his specifically the apostles are with him. They're in the upper room and Jesus is not far from the impending reality of the cross. And John gives us a very interesting picture here to what the Lord does. I want you to look there with me at John 13. I want to read this very quickly. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things in his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter and saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. But he is clean every whit, and you are clean, but not all. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore saith he, you are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you. Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye, ought, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Now there's a whole lot there that I'm not going to unpack, but I do want you to grasp what Jesus is teaching here. He is giving them what I have called a grace-compelled ought. An ought, it's the idea of a moral ought, is a what we see in philosophy, this moral ought. Because he hath received of Jesus, these have received of Jesus the cleansing of salvation, they are now to go and minister to one another because what they've received of Jesus. You see, the gospel grows a heart that wants to serve others. It presents to us Jesus serving the Father on the cross and in turn serving us. And so therefore, our heart, my heart, your heart, becomes that of a servant. This is gospel fruit. I find it interesting in the scripture that 
those apostles saw themselves as servants. And I need to piggyback very quickly off a message I preached a couple Sunday nights ago in the book of Jude, where in Jude 1, we find these words from Jude, I need you to grasp this, the half-brother of Jesus. He's the half-brother of, of Jesus. Now, I don't know how your upbringing was, but imagine being Jude, all right? Right, like the perfect brother, Jesus. And Jude says these words about himself. This is his identification. He says that he is Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. Now I have four siblings. Ain't none of them interested in being a servant to the other. This is something that only the gospel can produce. Jude's identity was literally found in this statement that because he was justified by faith, by the finished work of the cross, Jude's identity as an adopted child, think about it, an adopted child into God's family through the finished work of his half-brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude's identity informs his calling. And so Jude, as a servant of Jesus, and by the way, you and I, as servants of the Lord Jesus, now have our identity and our calling. And this is where identity drives your mission. For wherever you find identity, you will then find your mission in life. And as gospel-receiving people, as Jesus-loving, God-exalting Christians who glory only in the cross... Our identity is servants, gladly and freely. So therefore, we have our calling. Servants serve. Servants serve. It's not beneath us. It's not above us. It's not for others. It's for us personally. As the gospel grows fruit in our life, it will absolutely produce service. It does not produce selfishness. The gospel does not produce laziness. The gospel produces in me an identity and a passion of serving. Number two, serving the body is enabled by the Spirit. Serving the body is enabled by the Holy Spirit. Now, I can't for time... This is a whole other message in and of itself. But when you got saved, you received the indwelling Christ, the indwelling Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, they all tell us that when you received the Holy Spirit, you received the gifts or a gifting of the Holy Spirit that enables every member to be a minister. I'll read for you very quickly, just for time. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 11 there in your outline. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and, some, and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. This was an enabling of the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter, four, Romans chapter 12, we find a variety of gifts. We find gifts from exhortation to teaching to giving. We find those that are given the, the gift of ruling or, or uh, governing or administration. We find uh, people that are given the gift of mercy. 
Now, I don't know what gift you have, but I know that the Spirit of God has given you a spiritual gift. It is your responsibility and my responsibility to cultivate that gift through the work of the Holy Spirit to use it for the edifying of the body of Christ. However God has gifted you, however God has gifted you, I assure you of this, He has gifted you for His glory and purpose. The New Testament gives us an incredible picture of this. And so because of that, every member, every Christian is able to be a minister and a servant in some capacity. Number three, serving the body, serving the body reflects Jesus. It mirrors Jesus. We found in Philippians 2, just a few months ago, we were there in this text. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And so we understand his exalted place. But verse 7 says, But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant. How, how counter-scripture are we today as we are living to make of ourselves a reputation at the expense of not being a servant? But the Christian understands that Jesus comes and Jesus isn't worried about gaining a reputation or gaining a following. He knows, his, he knows his identity as we do. My goal is not to be revered in this world. My goal in reflecting Jesus is to take on the form of a servant as well. Think about that for a moment. Because Jesus is the sinless Son of God, there is no frustration in Him about this calling. Now it's important, again, I can't get into all this today, but I will tell you this, that in this first century, the idea of being a servant was like being a slave. It was like being a bondman. It was giving up your rights and submitting to the claims and the demands of your master. And why is it that for you and I, this seems to make no sense, but in the first century, they were freely saying, no, 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 I, I have been rescued from the wrath of God. I want to give up all that I have to serve and reflect my master. Here's the thing, guys. He who willingly took on this form now resides in us in the Spirit. This very Christ is in us and will cause us to reflect His servant nature. So I say to you once again, please stay with me and listen. I say to you once again, this is the work of the Gospel in us. He will not produce selfishness. He will not produce a callousness. The Spirit of God does not produce an irritation. No, the Spirit of God produces a loving sacrifice to the call and the commands of God. Why? Because this is who is in us now as Christians. And so here are these practical reality here. The husband 
who freely and joyfully serves his wife, reflects Jesus. The wife who freely and joyfully loves and serves her husband reflects Jesus. The father and mother who gladly serve their family understand that in so doing they reflect their Lord and Savior. We have our children in here today, so I say to the children, the children who learn from an early age that being a part of a family means not to be served, but that in the family they're to be a part of serving others cheerfully. They get to be a part of a team. They get to be a part of a household that strives together to accomplish a common goal. And so therefore we teach our children what it's like to be in the family of God. And in so reflecting Christ in their family, children learn from adults in the room today what it means to joyfully serve the body as well. Can I say this? Maybe a little pointed, knowing that you come out of a holiday break and you're going to go to work for the first time, maybe in a few days. That the parent who goes to work joyfully understanding God's calling on them tomorrow teaches their children the joy of serving Jesus no matter where they go. Don't miss that. Work is not a punishment. Work is a fruit of the goodness of God that allows us to serve others and serve Him. Here's the key point about family. The family life of believers should overflow into the church family life of every believer. As a father, I teach my children the value of the church by how I come to church, how I listen in church, how I sing in church, how I give of my time and my talents and my money, how I give of myself. I teach and model to my children the value of the family. This reflects the father who sends his son for the salvation of the whole world. Number four, and lastly, serving the body expresses love for God. Very simple. Serving the body expresses love for God. You know, it's a unique thing about love. Love is an action, right? Love is an action. I tell couples that in premarital counseling. I tell them that often at their wedding day. Love is an action. You cannot say you love and never act towards the person for which you think you love. In fact, not even is love just an action. Love is a choice. You choose to love. I chose to love my wife as a high schooler of all things. I chose to give to her as a young 22-year-old man getting married. The moment every one of our children were born, in that moment, it wasn't just that I looked at my child and thought, boy, wow, um, somehow I automatically love. No, no, it's that God put in me the ability to choose to love that, ba- that child, that baby, who could do nothing for me. Love is unique in that way because how do we express love to God? How do I act in such a way that tells God that I love Him? Is it just verbs, words? Songs, one of the best ways to tell God you love him is to serve somebody who's right next to you. 
One of the best ways for me to articulate my love for God and my calling as a pastor is to serve this body by spending time this week in the Word, preparing and giving and sharing the Word. It is, it is if I do not do this, I am failing in my calling to express my love to God. I will literally drive myself crazy if I cannot teach the Bible. Because it's not just that I love standing up and hearing myself talk. It's one of the ways for which I say every week to God, God, I love you and I love your truth and I love your people and I want your truth and your people to have a collision this Sunday morning and this Sunday night. And God, I love you so I want to serve this church. Not everybody in here is called to preach like I am or called to teach, but you are called and and gifted in some way for which you say to God, God, I'm going to go to church Sunday and I'm going to tell you I love you by serving your people. God, I'm going to go to work tomorrow and whether it's a school or a hospital or a factory or wherever it is, doesn't matter, an office, wherever you go, you have the opportunity to say to God, God, I love you and I'm going to show you by serving this coworker, this child. This is the uniqueness of Christianity. It's one of the uniquenesses of Christianity. In fact, C.S. Lewis argued that it was one of the things that differentiates Christianity from all other systems that say, I do to be loved. The Christian says, I do because I am loved. I conclude with these questions. Number one, Is the gospel empowering my service in the church? If the the answer is no, then we we have a question that we need to ask about whether or not we have come in touch with the gospel. Or B, am I allowing the work of the gospel? Am I submitting to the work of the gospel in my life? Number two, what are my spiritual gifts? And you might be here and you go, I have no idea. On the back table on your way out, I want to encourage you. We're not going to have an organized time, but we've given you a spiritual gifts test. How many of you have ever taken a spiritual gifts test? Raise your hand. A few. If you have not, you want to know what God has gifted you spiritually to do, grab a spiritual gifts test. On the back of that spiritual gifts test, it's got some conclusions for if you have this spiritual gift, here is a way in which you, you are to be, you have been wired to serve and God has gifted you to serve. So grab one and answer the question, how, what are my spiritual gifts and how can I use them to serve Jesus' church? Number three, how can I better rearrange my priorities and schedule to express my love for God by serving those that Jesus loves? How? Number four, since Jesus' mission to save sinners gave me salvation, how can I better live on mission with Jesus? How can I better live on mission? These questions, I give them to you weekly so you can personalize this. You can make this applicable immediately to you. But how are you serving? How are you living on mission with Jesus? I love the idea of Luther who specifically in explaining to his congregation the need for Christians to see their work as important and kingdom-minded. He took a very, what seems to be a menial task of 
Somebody who makes and fixes shoes. And he says the shoemaker does not go to work every day simply, simply to make money or or to make a name for himself. The person who goes to work and makes and fixes shoes literally serves the Lord Jesus in putting shoes on the feet of people who need them. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage our church. Because we have been served through the finished work of Jesus, let's be a radically serving church. Let's be that. Let's be that here at our church. Let's be that outside of these walls. Let's be that this week with our outreach. Let's be that, man, if you can't come to outreach on Saturday, take some outreach invites. One of the greatest ways we serve the world and serve unbelievers is not simply by just doing good for them, but ultimately by helping them know their need for salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we, as we seek to make disciples of all people for the glory of God, we love God, we grow together, and we serve others. Are you serving? Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world.